Turn to Luke chapter 2. And we are doing just kind of a mini-series for the month of December, a Christmas series, talking about the names of Christ, the names of Jesus, and His birth. And this week it is, and they shall call Him Christ. If you remember last week, we talked about Emmanuel, which means God with us, and what that means to us. Well, we want to know what the name Christ means. Now, let me just tell you something that I feel about this season that we're in. There is an attack that's coming from the enemy through the world to take Christ out of Christmas. Have you noticed that? It's getting more and more blatant. I was in a store yesterday and the lady said to me, Happy Holidays. And I said, No. (laughs) Sweetly. Merry Christmas. And I just want you to know, it's not Happy Holidays, it's not Season's Greetings, it's Merry Christmas. It's Christ's Day. The word Christmas comes from two words, Christ, Mass. Mass is a Latin word which means festival or celebration. And years ago, the church began having a Mass, a festival, a celebration, on December 25th, to celebrate the birth of Christ. It was known as Christ Mass, or the Mass, the service, the festival, the celebration to celebrate Christ. And I just think that all of us don't need to be belligerent about it or rude about it. We always need to be kind, but we just need to put forth that this is the celebration of Christ. I was driving through a city, a small city a while back, and on the courthouse... They had a manger scene. And I just prayed blessings on that city government to just take the stand and say, you know, we just don't care what anyone thinks. This is the birth of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is Christ and why he was given the name Christ and why it's so important. If you take Christ out of Christmas, you'll have no joy. Because the joy doesn't come from the season. The joy doesn't come even from giving. The joy comes from receiving Christ. That's what the joy comes from. And I have a friend that I grew up with that just a while back was talking about what's Christmas all about. I mean, what's it really all about? And I grew up with this guy. And come to think of it, some of you might have grown up with him too. So I want you to listen to him as he asks the question, what's Christmas all about? I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. 
You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's pretty good, isn't it? I like his blanket, don't you? All right, Luke 2, just a couple of scriptures that Linus just read to us. Verse 10 said, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, a couple of words I want to key in on. First of all, Savior. Savior means one who delivers completely, one who saves completely, or one who rescues completely. That's what he did for me. Lord means one who is supreme, the supreme being. And Christ means anointed. It comes from a Greek word, Christ means anointed. It comes from a Greek word, which is Christos, which means anointed one or the anointed one. It is in the Bible 554 times. So it is the central theme of the New Testament. It's only in the New Testament because the New Testament was written in Greek. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Messiah or Mashiach. And I was talking to Peter, our rabbi last night, who's a Messianic believer here on staff. And I said, it's Mashiach. And he said, no, it's Mashiach. You know, and something came out of his throat when he said it. So I'm not going to try to quite say it like that. But in the Hebrew, it would be Yeshua Ha Mashiach. Which ha means thee. So I want you to understand something. Mashiach, that Hebrew word is in the Old Testament 39 times. 37 times it's translated anointed. Only two times it's translated Messiah. It's translated anointed. When the Bible, when they talk about it, Jesus, they always put ha in there, the article or the. In other words, Jesus, the anointed one. He's not the foreshadowing. And all through the Old Testament, there are these foreshadowings of the Messiah to come, or the anointed one. And so most of the time when it's translated, it's translated anointed. Now, why is that important? Because we're trying to figure out what Christ means. What does it mean to me? Not what is just the definition of it, but what does it mean to me that Jesus is the anointed one? Personally, what does that mean to me? Well, in the Old Testament, again, there were types or shadows or symbols of the Messiah. And there were three groups of people that God commanded to be anointed. And that's the word here. They were to be anointed, but only three groups of people were to be anointed. But let me explain something to you. These three groups of people, all three of them put together, represent what the anointed one was going to do, or the Christ. Here were the three groups that could be anointed in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. Let me show you some scripture on this. Exodus 30, verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons. This word for anoint is the root word of Mashiach, which is Mashal. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And then 1 Kings 19, 16. You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of hard word, of hard word, hard word. You shall anoint, 
You shall anoint as prophet in your place. By the way, in Bible college, they said, if you ever come to word in the Old Testament that you don't know how to pronounce it, say it fast. And they said people won't know. But I couldn't say that that fast. So anyway, notice here's two verses with the three types in the two verses. Priest, prophets, and kings. You're, these are the ones you're supposed to anoint. Now, let me just show you again two verses that show the Messiah as prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, talking to Moses now, from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And by the way, this is quoted in Acts 3, speaking of Jesus. So we know this was talking about Jesus. Zechariah 6, verse 13. Yes, he, capital H, shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule. That's what a king does on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Here's Jesus again being a king and a priest. And we also know he's a prophet. So what does it mean? That's what Christ means. Christ means that he is the prophet, the anointed one, and the only three that could be anointed. He is the prophet the priest, and the king. Let me tell you what that means for you and for me, all right? What does it mean that he's my prophet? Number one, I can hear God. I can now hear God. You have to understand, in the Old Testament, prophets heard God. Prophets told you what God was saying. Well, since now I have received the prophet, I can hear God every day, all the time, God can speak to me. Jeremiah 31 is talking about the new covenant. Verse 34 says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Now watch this. Under the new covenant, if you get in on the new covenant, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's an important part of this verse. The reason that God can talk to me personally and have a personal relationship with me is because he's forgiven all of my iniquity and all of my sin. He's taken it all the way, all of it away. Something that a lot of people don't understand in the Old Testament, sacrifices covered sins, but they never cleansed them. They never cleansed them. Sacrifices of animals only covered the sin. The sacrifice of Jesus cleansed my sin. In other words, it's not covered. It's not hidden from the Lord. It's not hidden from the sight of God. It's no longer there. It is completely gone because the blood of Jesus washed it away. So because of that, I can hear God. And most people think, many, many believers think, they have a problem hearing God. I just want you to know, none of you here have a problem hearing God. You might have a problem recognizing His voice. Because you haven't spent much time with Him. But if you'll spend time with Him, you'll be able to recognize His voice. But you don't have a problem hearing. You want to know why? John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them when they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. The only requirement to hearing God's voice is to be a sheep. That's the only requirement. Now, there is a difference between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets brought the word of the Lord because they were the only ones that could hear the word of God. They were anointed specifically to hear the word of the Lord. New Testament prophets, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, do three things. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. They edify, that means to build up. They exhort, that means to encourage. And they comfort us. If you ever get a word from someone, 
that says this is a word from God and it doesn't encourage you, it doesn't build you up, and it doesn't comfort you, it's not a word from God. That's New Testament prophecy. That's 1 Corinthians 14. And there's a lot of people roaming around today in the body of Christ that have this Old Testament concept of a prophet and they feel like they are the ones that are anointed to hear God and no one else is anointed to hear God but them. And I just want you to know something. If you're a believer, you're anointed to hear God because you receive Christ, the anointed one. When I was at Shady Grove Church two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Olin Griffin, who was the pastor there when I was there. Uh, there was a guy that came through, and every now and then, you know, you have kooks come to church. That's the Greek word for him, kooks. <laughs> and so this guy came, and, he, and Brother Old and I were standing there after service, and he came up, and we knew that he was off. We knew by his spirit he was wrong. We knew he was one of these floating guys that's not connected anywhere. No accountability, no relationship. You could just tell, you know. And so he came up, and he said to Brother Olin, I'm a prophet. And I have a word from God for you. And uh, Brother Olin is a real mild-mannered. You saw him a few weeks ago. Very kind, very humble. And he responded in a way that I'd never really heard him respond to someone. The guy said, I'm a prophet, and I have a word from God for you. And Brother Olin said, no, you don't. And he said, yes, I do. And Brother Olin said, no, you don't. And I'll prove to you, you don't. He said, let me ask you a question. Am I a pastor? And the guy said, well, yes, you're a pastor. And Brother Olin said, but am I your pastor? And he said, well, no, you're not my pastor. He said, but I am a pastor, right? And the guy said, yeah. And so Brother Olin said to him, well, you might be a prophet, but you're not my prophet. I have a prophet. His name's Jesus. And now, we're not saying that God doesn't speak through people or that God couldn't speak through someone. But his spirit was wrong, and we knew his spirit was wrong. And so there was no reason to actually let him prophesy or to say anything, and it could have even been demonically inspired. So Brother Owen just cut it off like that. I just want you to know something. If you're a believer, you have a prophet. His name is Christ. Now, what does it mean that he's my priest? It means I can talk to God. Now, just think about this. This is a great message, by the way. Okay, If you don't know it, this is a great message. I can hear God because he's my prophet. And I can talk to God. In the Old Testament, the only ones that could talk to God were priests. They were only ones. They had to be anointed to talk to God. They had to be anointed to enter His presence. And they could only enter His presence once a year. Once a year they could enter His presence. And yet, every day they had to offer a sacrifice, by the way. They had to offer a morning and an evening sacrifice. A morning and an evening sacrifice. Let me show you Scripture. Hebrews 7.27 talking about Jesus, our priest, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all. Notice those three words, once for all, when he offered up himself. Every day, the priest would offer two sacrifices, a morning and an evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice was for all the sins that you committed during the day. The morning sacrifice was if you got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and stumped your toe and said something you shouldn't say. Then they do one in the morning also. That would cover your sins. Not cleanse, but cover your sins. That's what they had to do every day. Here's what this is saying. Jesus does not need to offer up a sacrifice every day. Because He did it once for all. Once for all. I have a very, very important question for you. 
are your sins that you committed after you became a believer under the blood? Well, that, that was weak. That was weak. Yes, they are. Now, I have another question for you. Are your future sins that you haven't committed yet under the blood? Yes. Because if they're not, Jesus will have to die again. And I just want everyone here to know this. He's never dying again. He's never going to suffer again. He did again. He did it once for all. That's what it means that He's my priest. He paid for all of my sins completely, totally, on my ticket that had the list of my sins. They're gone. They're erased. And instead, there's a stamp there that says paid in full. Completely in full. All my sins, even the ones in next week. Because if those aren't paid for, he'll have to come and die again. So they're already paid for. And I want to explain something to you about how he paid for our sins, alright? I shared this illustration a few years ago, so you may need to be reminded if you were here and heard it then too. I have a friend who's a judge. And a person came to him, a friend of his, who got a ticket... And said to him, will you take care of this ticket for me? And my friend, the judge, said, yeah, I'll take care of it. So a few weeks later, they were at a gathering, and the uh, guy that asked him to take care of it said, hey, thanks for dismissing that ticket for me. And the judge said, I didn't dismiss it. And he said, well, I thought you said you'd take care of it for me. He said, I did. I took care of it. And he said, well, if you didn't dismiss it, how would you take care of it? And he said, I paid it. I paid the fine for you. And the guy said, oh, I didn't didn't want you to pay the fine for me. I could have done that. I didn't want you to pay out of your own money, your own pocket. I didn't want you to pay the fine. He said, I just wanted you to do your judge thing, you know. (laughs) And my friend, the judge, said to him, well, let me ask you a question. Were you speeding? And the guy said, well, yeah. And he said, then justice demanded that a fine be paid. So I paid it. Now, listen to me. A lot of us have the thought in the back of our mind that the judge dismissed the charges against us. But he didn't. He took the charges against us and put them on his son. And his son paid the fine with his own blood. Are you you catching this? That's why I can never be charged again for my sins. Because they've already been paid for in full. They weren't dismissed and maybe could be brought up again. They were taken off of me and put on someone else who was sentenced to death. For my sins. And you can only kill someone once. He's already died. I'm completely free. I'm completely free. Because my priest ended that a fine be paid. So I paid it. Now, listen to me. A lot of us have the thought in the back of our mind that the judge... Dismissed the charges against us. But he didn't. 
He took the charges against us and put them on his son. And his son paid the fine with his own blood. Are are you catching this? That's why I can never be charged again for my sins. Because they've already been paid for in full. They weren't dismissed and maybe could be brought up again. They were taken off of me and put on someone else who was sentenced to death for my sins. And you can only kill someone once. He's already died. I'm completely free. And the guy said, I'm completely free. I'm completely free. Because my priest died for me. And now, because he's my priest, I can talk to him anytime I want to. As a matter of fact, here's another thing Hebrews says. It says I can come boldly to the throne of grace. And not just once a year. I can come once a day. I can come once an hour. I can come once a minute. I can come once a moment. As much as I want to come. So he's my prophet. He's my priest. And what does it mean that he's my king? It means I can live victoriously. I can live victoriously. Why? Because the king of kings lives in me. Not just the king, but the king of kings. Revelation 17 verse 13 says, These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the supreme being. He's the anointed one to be in full authority, to have all power. This is what he said to the disciples before he left, after the, right before the ascension. All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's the one that has all authority. If the one who has all authority is living in me, then I can live victoriously on this earth. No matter what I go through, I can have the victory. No matter what circumstance I'm in or what situation I face, I can have the victory because the king lives in me. And I want to explain something to you about him being the king. And I want to explain something to you about Satan, this war that we're in, all right? Catch this. If you don't catch anything, catch this. This is one of those deep statements that needs to be said that we have a difficulty with somewhere in the back and recesses of the way we think. We wouldn't say it out loud, but in the back of our mind, it's still kind of there. Listen to this, all right? Jesus is not Satan's counterpart. Jesus is not Satan's counterpart. Somehow, we have this thought that God is up here, and Jesus is here, and Satan is here. And Jesus and Satan are fighting, and we know who wins, but they're really going at it still to this day. And they're on the same level. No. If Satan has a counterpart, listen carefully. If Satan has a counterpart, it's Michael or Gabriel. You catch that? It's not Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer are the created. There's a huge difference. Lucifer is a fallen angel, not a god. Not God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the King of kings, and He can flick Satan anytime He wants to. He's not afraid of Him. He doesn't have to get a running start. 
And I, as a believer, if I want to take authority over a demon, all I have to do is say, we wouldn't say it out loud, but in the back of our mind, it's still kind of there. Listen to this, all right? Jesus is not Satan's counterpart. Jesus is not Satan's counterpart. Somehow we have this thought that God is up here and Jesus is here and Satan is here. And Jesus and Satan are fighting and we know who wins, but they're really going at it still to this day. And they're on the same level. No, if Satan has a counterpart, listen carefully, if Satan has a counterpart, it's Michael or Gabriel. You catch that? It's not Jesus. Jesus is the Creator. Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer are the created. There's a huge difference. Lucifer is a fallen angel, not a god. Not God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the King of kings, and He can flick Satan anytime He wants to. He's not afraid of Him. He doesn't have to get a running start. And I, as a believer, if I want to take authority over a demon, all I have to do is say, boo, in Jesus' name, back up. All of these Old Testament passages foreshadow the Christ, the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king. Let me give you a foreshadowing of the king that a lot of people had probably never even thought of. There were these kings in the Old Testament. There was one named David, who, although he failed because he was a human, was a man after God's own heart. Great king. David found out that there was a descendant of Saul still living. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was the heir to the throne if something happened to Jonathan. I heard about a young preacher that preached a whole message on Mephibosheth. I think it's Mephibosheth. It had been better if he'd have said hard word, but... Mephibosheth. What do you remember about Mephibosheth? He's lame. He's crippled, right? Do you know, though, that he wasn't born crippled? When he was five years old, Saul and Jonathan died in a battle on the same day. When the news came back that they were dead, Mephibosheth's babysitter picked him up and began running with him to hide him from David, because in those days, if a new family came into ruling, what they did was they killed all of the remaining descendants of the previous ruling family. So she takes him to try to save his life because she feels like David's going to come kill him now, because David's already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, even though he wasn't in the same line as Saul. So she's going to protect him. So while she's running, she trips and falls, and the Bible tells us he became Lame. And what that means in those days is that he broke one or both legs, not just an ankle or foot or something like that, that he could have continued walking, but he could never walk on it again. That one of his main bones, or more than one, was broken or shattered, and there was no way he'd ever be able to walk again. He was lame for the rest of his life. Now, I don't know if you've ever broken a bone. Unfortunately, I've broken a lot of bones. I broke six in the motorcycle wreck, if you remember last spring. Six ribs were broken. It hurts. It hurts a lot to break a bone. And I had drugs, too. But it still hurts. 
Mephibosheth had no drugs, and he was five years old. See, sometimes we read these Bible stories and we don't think about, this was a boy, an actual five-year-old boy who had a horrible traumatic accident. And now he's lame, and he can't run and play with the rest of the kids. So when he's seven, when he's eight, when he's nine, as he's growing up, and every time he'd ask the question, why am I lame? The answer actually came back in one word. David. That's why you're lame. You're not lame because your babysitter dropped you. You're lame because your babysitter is trying to save you from a madman. Even though he grows up thinking. I want you to think about the foreshadowing picture of this. Okay, put this to the New Testament, the king and who the king really is. This guy grows up believing all of his life that the king is mad at him. That the king really wants to do him evil instead of good. And that he needs to be afraid of the king. And one day David says, is there any descendant of the house of Saul left? And they say, well, yeah, there's one named Mephibosheth. He's living in a town called Lo. Debar. Lodabar was not on the way to anywhere. Lodabar was where if you stopped and asked for directions, they would say, you can't get there from here. That's the way Lodabar was. Way out, and the name Lodabar actually means a dry, barren wilderness. So that's where he's living. He's living in a dry, barren wilderness. Think about the foreshadowing of this. How many people today are living in a dry place believing the king's mad at him? When the king's really not. And so David calls Mephibosheth and says to him, Listen, from now on, you're going to be my son. I didn't even know you were alive. You're going to be my son. You're going to be the son of the king. I'm going to restore to you all the land that Saul and Jonathan had, your father and your grandfather. I'm going to restore all that land to you. I'm going to make you wealthy beyond your dreams. And you're going to sit at my table from now on and live in the castle. Mephibosheth says this, Who am I? Such a dead dog that you would do this. And this is, in essence, is what he was asking. What have I done to receive this? What have I done to be worthy to receive this? Now, listen, it's very important to understand the implied answer, even though David doesn't go on an answer. But it's important to understand the reason. Here's the answer. What have I done to receive this? Here's the answer. Nothing. Nothing. You haven't done one thing to receive it. The reason you're receiving this is because there's a covenant between the father and the king. That's why you're receiving this kindness. Do you see the foreshadowing? A lot of people believe that God made a covenant with us on the cross. Not true. God didn't make a covenant with you on the cross. The father made a covenant with the Son on the cross. The Father made a covenant with the King on the cross. And we believe